You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News, and today we are right back into diving into these top prospects around where the Pacers should be picking in that 1-7-8 to seven, eight range. Lots of interesting prospects this year. And today we're talking about one of my favorite guys who isn't considered any consensus-ish top four, and that's A.J. Griffin from Duke. Joining me to do that, one of our Locked On NBA Draft hosts. Uh, you can find him at Draft Dummies, which is ironic because he's not a dummy. On Twitter, <laughs> Sam Ferris. Sam, how you doing, man? You enjoying this time of year? I am always enjoying this time of year, and thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk some A.J. Griffin today. Yeah, watching Duke is funny because everybody wants to watch Paolo, but A.J. Griffin has a lot of standout plays to me. I have one one, one of my favorite clips of him creating space for a corner three where he steps back like 40 feet in one step, I swear. Um, We'll talk about his just general strengths first, and I have quite a few long-form notes about what I think he's really good at because you know, I said this already, but AJ Griffin's one of my favorite guys in this draft. Like I'm very tempted to move him into my top four. I'm that into the way he he can play. And you know, something that is really interesting about him, this is a little too in the weeds for a very first thing I'm going to say, but <laughs> when he catches the ball, he has this super wide base with his feet yeah. and that allows him to, to really be shifty and get around guys and, and his attack off his first ca- like his first step off catches because he does that is always like right at the basket. He never has a false step or goes backwards. So just the way he moves off the ball into his catches is it's such a unique and niche skill, but it's something that's like kind of unlike any prospect I've seen in a while. Yeah, and that wide base is kind of a, th- a theme for him too because I'm sure we'll talk about this in the strengths category, but the jumper is the number one strength with A.J. Griffin. And you see that same very wide base um, some people joke around if you followed baseball in kind of the late nineties, early two thousands, it's almost reminiscent of a Jeff Bagwell where it's very wide base, um, <laughs> got the deep knee bend, but I don't really worry too much about that because the finished product and the numbers indicate that he is an elite jump shooter for his size and for his age. So if we're starting talking about the strengths with AJ Griffin, we have to start there with the jumper. Yeah, I think the stats almost speak for themselves at 44.7% from deep with very repeatable mechanics. And the thing that's interesting if you watch a lot of his threes is there are a lot of right wing, a lot of right wing threes. He loves that, but his his corner three is really money as well. And I really buy him as a shooter, which is part of why I have him really high. Just like you mentioned, you know, the shooting being such a big part of it because over half his shots are threes, like the three point attempt rate being so good, like he's really good at getting them up. And I can't remember who it's against. Maybe Notre Dame. I have a clip. I should just share it. Um, but, but he does this sometimes, or if he gets closed out hard, he'll shot fake, take one dribble to his left, and just monster step back. Creates a ton of room with his step back, and that's because of this wide base, which is such a dumb thing for you to start on. But you know, it allows him to take the perfect first step and jump back to create more space for his three, which is, again, such a weapon for him. You know, it, It's such an impressive set of skills to have a base of, and on a Duke team that is very weird on offense. I don't really know how to describe Duke this year offensively. Gross. Uh, you know, he found ways to still use his three ball as a threat, even when things were kind of clogged up or slower for that Blue Devil team. Yeah, so the numbers on that, you hinted at the like 44.7% from three, also 79% on free throws. And also I'll add to that two other stats. So I like to look at just straight up spot up jump shots off the catch. He shot that at over 46%, which is crazy good for a kid his age too. And then uh, 
I remember tweeting this out because I think the last two weeks he did go on a little bit of a mini slump, but with two weeks left, he was sitting at 50% from three, which would, I mean, the he just shot it unbelievably well, something you don't see from a teenager that often. And so, yep, that's his number one skill. 53.5% from CBB analytic shot charts. From that right wing three that is his go-to spot, Floppy was like Duke's thing this year. 53.3% from the left corner, his other spot. The shooting is a really big one for me. And another part of it that's interesting is, and this is another thing that I really like about prospects in general, and I'm going to talk about Karis LeVert for a second, which seems strange, but uh, watching him on the Pacers, something that kind of as his career evolved made him a better scorer is he got the floater, which was a big counter for him to be able to finally finish over bigs because his finishing right at the basket's not very good. A.J. Griffin's floater's pretty nice when he gets run off the line, like when he gets kind of into that five-foot range. That was something that I thought was pretty good, and it allows him to, you know, not necessarily like ISO guys. I don't think his ISOs are awesome, but when he's attacking switches, the fact that he can get to that floater in the lane, he finished pretty well, like inside of, I'd say, eight feet, seven feet just to make up some distances. I like that floater game, and I think that counter will help well for him, again, because he's already such a good shooter, but because he can attack so well off the first step, I think switches in general will not be something that is particularly challenging for him as he grows in the NBA. Yeah, I'd categorize that under kind of the whole umbrella of touch with the free throws, the shooting, the floater, that's all there for him. Um, The one thing I might add to that, though, which you kind of alluded to, is he, he didn't get all the way to the rim very often. There could be a number of different reasons for that. Kind of the main theme that I would say with A.J. Griffin, you know, the number one theme is the shooting, but the number two theme is just where is he athletically as it pertains to his recovery from injuries? Because the injuries were the story of his young career. In high school, he had a dislocated kneecap, which was a really rough injury for him, end of his junior year, and then I don't think he played for the whole year after that. And then coming into Duke, he then sprained his knee again and kind of that kind of delayed his start to the season. And so if you believe in A.J. Griffin as a top six, seven prospect in this class, I think you have to bake into that. Like you have to believe that his athleticism has not fully returned yet, that hopefully with a strength and conditioning team in the NBA, they can get him closer back to where he was pre-injury. Um, because he has the shooting, the physical tools in terms of the frame at 6'6", 6'11", with very good strength are all there. And so just that one missing piece where it's a really big variable for him is like, where is he on that scale of returning to his full kind of peak athleticism? And is he really ever going to get there at all? Or is this injury just going to just going to kind of sap him long term of of his peak athleticism? Yeah, I actually found that out backwards, the knee thing, because I, I forget what the first game I pulled up was Miami, maybe, for Duke, and he wasn't starting. And I was like, why is A.J. Griffin coming off the bench? So then I Google A.J. Griffin bench, and it's like, oh, he's coming from this knee thing still, so they're, they're kind of easing him in. And, and I didn't realize that it was such a long thing that, like like you mentioned, his senior year didn't play much and then gets to Duke, hurts it again. So that is always a concern for these guys, especially with knees. Um, and I agree with you that the athleticism thing is interesting, like, I was blown away by occasionally when he would get like an open lane to the rim, he wouldn't dunk, you know, and that's not like a bad thing. He still made the shot. Like I think he finished 70 percent at the rim. I don't remember the exact number, but he ne- he didn't dunk. And I was just like, yo, you're six, seven, like just, just yeah. dunk the ball. And that that's always a, like a dumb thing to be concerned about. But I was you know, he didn't have the oomph sometimes. Yeah, no. And that's a huge thing with him is 
and you don't see him dunk that often. Only eight dunks on the year. Didn't get to the rim that often. And six 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 seven, like you said, but also the long arms too. So that's the big question for him. I don't like to often use the term of like high ceiling, low floor, because I think in general, we don't do a very good job of assessing who really has a high ceiling and low floor that it's just so hard to do. Like if you follow the draft, you know that oftentimes the older players are talked about as high floor players. And that frankly doesn't end up really being the case. Um, So as a a person who covers Chris Duarte's team, I'm well aware of the the notions of older players. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm tentative to use that, but I think it's somewhat reasonable to use with, with him just because of the big variable of is he fully recovered from the knee injuries or is he going to get closer back to the peak athleticism? That's the big question with him. See, and I don't, maybe I'm wrong about this because I haven't really seen this said or written a ton, but you know, I, I agree with that. That's, that's something I would like to see as, as he grows in the NBA. Like, I don't want to compare him to Franz Wagner because Franz Wagner, I'll get to the specific thing. They're not Mm -hmm. comparable players. But, you know, in the NBA, Franz Wagner stood out a lot to a lot of people because he never got sped up, right? His his pace, his speed in the lane with the ball, you know, he was going to do his thing. And I think A.J. Griffin's really good at that in a way that his athleticism won't necessarily be a detriment. Like, when he's going to attack, he knows what his move's going to be. He does it at his speed. He doesn't rush it. He doesn't cough it up a bunch or anything super low turnover rate and uh, he doesn't pass that much so that's going to help that but you know in general I always thought I thought that you know he never got sped up he knew what his moves are going to be he knew kind of what defensive manipulation was coming in a way that he got over that athletic hurdle sometimes when he needed to and I thought that was something that you know if the athleticism doesn't come I still believe in his general floor game because of that yeah no so I would actually say that potentially the athleticism and like the burst the twitchiness that might actually affect him defensively more so like what level he can get to be as a defender. Like to me, that's the biggest variant for him as a prospect. Great. So you brought up the Franz Wagner comparison, maybe one that I was thinking of going off of someone from last class would be kind of like a Moses Moody where Moody isn't a great athlete. He's improved since he got into the NBA again with the warriors, with a strength and conditioning program. Um, But if we're saying that Griffin doesn't get back to where he was athletically, still a very good shooter, still a very good frame, still a smart defensive player. And so like, even if he doesn't get back to that, there's still a role that he can play valuably, especially with that size and the ability to shoot the ball like he can. Hey guys, short little break here to talk about prize picks. NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know you will too. What is it? Well, it's easy to use daily fantasy. You pick two to five players and an over/under on their projections. You can up to ten times on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in sixty seconds or less. It's super easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals. You can use their award-winning app on the App Store or Google Play, and they offer any prop you can think of: points scored, rebounds, steals. You name it, they got it. They have mixed sport entries. You can do. You know, NBA with ongoing MLB, get, get some of my Phillies guys on your group. And they don't just offer NBA and MLB. They also have college football, college basketball, NFL, soccer, MMA, and more. For a limited time, PrizePix has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. Users get 50 bucks for free if a player in your first PrizePix entry scores a single point, just one. But you got to use the code NBA when you sign up. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Locked On fans. Sign up today. 
on Prize Picks. Use the code NBA if a player in your first entry scores a single point. You'll get fifty dollars for free. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Yeah, you mentioned the defense, and I I just want to hop over there now. Yeah, <laughs> like for sure. I I have some trouble with his defense, and and some people have characterized his defense as good, and I agree that with with your word that you just used of smart, but he gets cooked a lot by <laughs> yeah. like quick guards just blow past him. And it's always so strange to me because he's not slow. So, I, you know, his footwork's not great there. That wide base actually hurts him on that end of the floor. And so, you know, I've seen some people kind of laud his defense. I don't think it's bad, but it's bad on fast guards. And it makes me it makes it hard for me to, like, perfectly contextualize or evaluate his defense because I, I always, like, am wanting a little more even though it's not always terrible. You know, how do you evaluate him on that end of the floor? Yeah, so there's kind of a big debate going on on draft Twitter right now. With regards to A.J. Griffin defensively, I've seen people, I don't remember who said these, so I'm not going to guess at who it was, but <laughs> someone said that he was like the worst defensive prospect in the entire draft class, and then a bunch of others pushing back. And the number one thing that I would say that I always repeat when it comes to defense, especially with guys that are teenagers, is that teenagers are never good defensively. They just never are. And so I think sometimes we can like outsmart ourselves. And I think probably the number one mistake you can make as an evaluator, in my opinion, is digging too far into the details, too far into the weeds defensively, reading into things that might not be there. And so what you have to do, in my opinion, with teenagers is number one, look at the physical tools that they have. Because we've seen guys that just don't try that hard in college or just don't know where to go, where to rotate. Plenty of guys that ended up being very good defenders from a Clay Thompson to a Ben Simmons. And so we've seen this before. You don't want to overreact to teenagers being bad defensively in college. Just look at the physical tools and then they have to have some level of feel some level of sense defensively. So yes, you have to watch enough to get that level of comfort with them. Um, because if they have no clue what's going on, then chances are that's never going to happen. But again, I just think it's a mistake when they're so young to read too much into the weeds and details. And so I'm kind of in the middle here where he has the tools. He ha He's six 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 seven with a long wingspan. And something I always say is, Length at the position is the number one indicator, the number one thing you want to look at regarding translation on defense from college to the NBA. So he checks that box. And then, you know, we can debate where you think he is in terms of his smarts and his feel, his processing on the court. But I think it's at least above average. And so that's not really a big concern for me either. So if we're projecting him, you know, three years down the line, you know, we say that his athleticism is at least going to come back to a certain extent that, like you said, he's not going to be getting cooked by all these small guards. Then, like, I think he certainly can be a good defensive player. There's no reason he can't. Yeah, the the, the quick guard thing really kind of hurts me to, to, to think about because if I thought, and I think he maybe can, I don't know, I'm having trouble putting a percent chance on it. If I thought he'd be able to catch up to quicker guards in the NBA – then I'd probably put him in my top four because I, I agree with you that he's smart on defense and he can read the game well. That pattern recognition is important. You know, that was a big thing for Ben Simmons. Um, and I, he can do that. And when guys are, you know, bulkier than him or whatever, he's he's 
strongish in the post. I only think I saw him defend like five post possessions, but you know, yeah. th- those possessions do it fine. But quick guards just roasted him all the time, or, or his hips were like turned the wrong way. And you know, I'm getting into your minutia here, and I don't want to yeah. get too far into that sort of stuff because that can be corrected with coaching. But yep. there's a lot of times he would just get blown by so fast that made me just go, uh, you know, that that concern that is where my biggest concern would be for him on the NBA level is if he doesn't really improve that maybe the technique there. That if he never gets good on those quick guards, he kind of is limited to guarding fours or threes that aren't as quick. And that that is very limiting, despite the fact that his offensive profile is so strong. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. His quickness, his burst, the twitchiness isn't where it needs to be right now, for sure. But you made another good point that, especially for a kid his age, um, a lot of young prospects need to add strength, need to add physicality. He doesn't. He's got a very strong base. Uh, he's already physically developed. And I think the lack of strength can sometimes be overrated, especially with young guys, but prospects that do have strength as a strength to their game, I think that can be underrated as well. And so that's not something that's talked about that much, but um, it's even if he can't switch onto like ones, like quick ones, like the, the fact that he probably will be able to with his length and his strong base, switch on to bigs a lot of time like that is something that's also very helpful um so for example i'm a warriors fan and going back to kind of the original death lineup something that was very underrated about that was harrison barnes who had a kind of a similar physical makeup to griffin not super quick Um, couldn't really guard the ones, but his ability to slide down the lineup and guard because of his strength and his, his base, um, was something very valuable for the Warriors. And so we always think about, it's more sexy switching onto guards, but a lot of guys can't switch down onto bigger players. And I think Griffin will be able to do that. I do agree with, with all that. (laughs) The the Harrison Barnes specific thing was pretty interesting. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah. in that way before. Uh, so let's let's get back to offense for a little bit. The defense mm-hmm. is something that I will have trouble firmly evaluating, I think, as I put together a full profile on him. Just it's almost it's not like it's different every game, but there's just like, you know, I don't know if you're like this, but for me there's always one or two possessions every game about a guy that really stand out in my head and I can't shake them. It's impossible. And there's there was one against oh man, I Blake Wesley cooked him a few times, but I cannot remember who it was that he got cooked by that I just went whoa whoa i gotta type that down you know yeah and so it's stuck in my head there a little bit i want to talk about offense a little bit iso drives in general i don't think he'll be asked to do that in the nba but not gonna beat guys off the dribble very often do you agree with that yeah i agree with that yeah yeah that's something that i i thought maybe he would be a little better at but not not the best there and then the passing is a thing that is interesting to me because as a guy who does have pretty good pattern recognition and kind of understands angles and where he needs to be his passing's not there at all. Like he'll just kind of kick it out or traditionally swing it. You know, I, I don't know where the passing development will come from, but I was kind of intrigued or interested in that. You know, a guy like him who really is good at sets and weaving and getting to the right spots and knowing where his teammates need to be wasn't better as a passer. Yeah, very low assist rate. I want to say like six percent, but I think you mentioned this earlier. All those rates for him are low. The assist rate's very low, but also the turnover rates low. And the free throw rate is low. And so that's a combination to me of a lot of different things. Number one, the lack of spacing in college, especially because Boncaro, who was their best player and is a top four prospect, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, 
his main area that he liked to operate out of was kind of like the mid post or like the high post kind of elbow extended area. And so that takes out a lot of driving space for him. Plus just the lack of spacing in general in college. And then the final thing is, I don't think that was really something that AJ Griffin was asked to do. He wasn't asked to initiate offense. He wasn't the creator for them. He was finishing possessions and spacing the floor to allow space for Boncaro and for Mark Williams to roll to the rim. And frankly, um, A.J. Griffin did that very, very well. Do you make anything of the low free throw rate? Because I actually thought he was pretty good at finishing with his body, but it never led to fouls, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I part of it is just that he didn't get into the lane that often. I yeah. mean, that's the one thing. That's why I don't really read that much into the low assist rate or the low turnover rate because he just didn't that wasn't really what he was asked to do he was mostly a spot up guy his usage wasn't um when he got the ball he wasn't asked to get to the rim that just wasn't part of their offense now part of that again circling back to the athleticism you could certainly argue that his physical limitations were part of that but i would also argue that the scheme and his role in the offense was another part of that as well. One more break here, guys, to talk about betonline.net, your number one source for all of your sports betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Heat Sixers playing right now as I speak, and the start of the Major League Baseball season all over on betonline.net, your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs to esports and more. The NBA playoffs all over on their bucks not favored in game two despite winning game one. Warriors favored in game two after winning game one. They got all that over on their odd site, plus way more action up for a bunch of other sports. You can head over to that website today or use your mobile device and learn more about the trends in the action over at betonline.net. BetOnline is where the game starts. Talked about Bancaro and you know Mark Williams, obviously a prospect on that team as well. That was, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say this. Groundbound on offense, uh, very yeah. close to the basket all the time. Yeah. So let's just uh, let's get to the NBA part of this. Is why I'm bringing this up. Do you? Th- mm-hmm. How much do you think more space will help or hurt him? Because I can see on offense, obviously, when you're a good shooter, providing space and using space is very helpful. And I think offensively that will help him. But I also think some of the limitations we talked about on defense, the more spaced out four could hurt him. So how do you feel like on an NBA level, the skills he has, and limitations he has? Where do you feel like that translation is going to go? No, so that's a great point. You use the terms guys that provide space and guys that use space. So, you know, the guys that are going to be on the ball more, creating more for others, need the space that guys like A.J. Griffin provide to them with the shooting ability. Um, So I don't think that's much of a concern for him. If anything, I would say a lot of his value is that he he fits anywhere in the modern NBA because of his spacing. So... A lot of his value is that he provides that spacing for other people. And so I don't like, sure, that's going to help. He's going to get to the rim more than he did in college for sure. But I think more than anything, his value is that he fits anywhere due to his, you know, plus size and length for the position, which hopefully down the line will end up yielding defensive versatility, but also just the ability to space the floor offensively with his shooting ability. And I think he'll be able to shoot it out past the three-point line, a guy that will be able to, you know, space out. Like you see some teams do, like the Milwaukee Bucks, for instance, like to space their guys even deeper out. That's something that he can do. And so I think he's going to be the guy providing the spacing more so for other players. I definitely agree with that. And 
you know, not that I want to get too Pacer specific on NBA fit, but in general, with a guy like Tyrese Halberton, offensively, that is wow, that is as good as it gets to me in yeah. terms of especially half court offense. That fit is like brilliant to me. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I like the fit there together. Again, I like the fit with AJ Griffin anywhere. The thing is, I think if they were to pair together, they would need a slasher or a kind of more athletic guy in between the two of them. Someone to put a little bit more pressure on the rim and open up kind of more of those kickouts to them. But if so, then I think that would be fantastic. Um, There's a couple of guys in this draft class that I think would be awesome fits in Indiana. Who knew this whole time O'Shea Brissett was destined to be the connector between Tyrese Halliburton <laughs> and A.J. Griffin? <laughs> what an odd career arc, Rim. Yeah. The defensive spacing in the NBA, I, I do think, will be interesting for a guy like A.J. Griffin. Like, he won't have – I mean, I guess with the Pacers, with if they have Turner back next year, maybe. But he won't have an elite-ish rim protector behind him at all times yeah. anymore. So the limitations will be concerning, even if he is able to kind of grasp team concepts quickly and fit in on that end of the floor. Yep, that'll be the thing for him defensively. How well he can close out, but then keep guys in front and recover. Yep, that's going to be kind of the number one question with him. Just to monitor, because that's kind of the through line with his whole game, is where can he get athletically? I know I've repeated this like three, four times now, but I mean, it's it's the through line with him, and it's going to define whether he's just like a solid role player that'll space the floor or if he's like a high-end starter for a good team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Do you feel like there's anything critical about his game here that we've missed or anything in this evaluation? You're like, oh, we haven't even talked about XYZ skill that he's very good at. No, I don't think so. I guess it just bears repeating again how good of a shooter he was for his age. Yeah. The funny thing is, coming into the season, um, I'm not sure how much your listeners followed college or the NBA draft, but... Pat Baldwin was supposed to be the elite shooter that was kind of a taller wing. But it's funny because A.J. Griffin ended up basically being that guy with Jabari Smith as well. So it's funny that usually when guys are that good of shooters at a young age, it's kind of like a smaller guard. But it's rare that we see both A.J. Griffin and Jabari Smith, two guys that have size on the wing that both were just unbelievable shooters as freshmen. Yeah, I think the shooting is a big part of why I rank him so high. Do you do you have a board fully done? Do you have a specific ranking spot for him at this um, time? It's subject to change, yes. but I do have him in the top eight. Yeah. yeah. That where the Pacers should be on the on the 0.6% chance they end up at nine. We'll circle back on this on this yep. conversation. Yeah, we did a Jabari last week on Lankan Pacers, and his you know the defense for him is the separator. The reason that yeah. he can be a three and D floor, I think, is why he's obviously has a higher spot on my board than AJ Griffin. But I think Griffin's a better shooter than him personally, just given yeah. his technique and form and his ability to go farther beyond the three point line. I think is a big factor for me there. Yep. Yeah. I agree. So I actually, to finish this up, I had AJ Griffin as a top three guy coming into this season. So I've I've been on high high on wow. him for a while. I also had not to call out all my wins because uh, <laughs> I not like I don't make mistakes too. But I I was high on Jabari Smith too as well. Had him like as a top seven guy coming in. Not a lot of people did. So been high on both of these guys for their shooting ability at that size. I do think if the athleticism comes back, I think AJ Griffin has a chance to have a little bit more kind of game off the dribble potentially than Jabari Smith. But like you said, 
the defense and the size with Jabari Smith at this point is just a little bit safer. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, to, to pit my own hits in the locked on drafts, I keep getting so lucky. Like I picked, <laughs> I think I picked Taylor at 18 a few years ago instead of Batadze. I picked Brandon Clark one year. I wow. picked Sharif last year. You remember that. Yeah. Uh, that one did not pan out. But I've gotten very lucky, which is funny because I ranked Duarte pretty low last year, and then he turned out good. So I'm not allowed to pin my hits anymore when Duarte <laughs> turned out to be very good. Yep. Well, I was right there with you on the Sharif Cooper thing, and I'm not giving up yet. I just want to see him get a <laughs> shot somewhere. Yeah, that that sucks. Because if it never if he never plays that much, it's going to look like I, I, I mean, not to make it about me, but like yeah. it's going to be like, oh, like, you idiot. You know, you had him top 10. I'm like, well, he played 16 NBA games. Like, I can't. Can't do anything with that information. I hate when that happens. <laughs> yep. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Always excited to talk some of these prospects, especially like we were saying before the show, the Pacers are not always up there towards the top of the draft. And so it's fun to do kind of for a, a first time thing this year in a while. Yeah, for a while, everyone in Indy's favorite stat was they hadn't picked inside the top 10, not 10th, but inside of it since 1989 when they picked George McLeod out of Florida State. So Paul George and Eric Dampier, they picked exactly 10, but now they'll be picking single digits for the first time since before any prospect in this draft was alive, since before any pacer from their most recent season was alive. Sam, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. I love diving into these prospects like this in this forum. Where can people follow you and all your draft content? Because Pacer fans are dying for more of that (laughs) with the lottery coming up. Yeah, you can follow me at Draft Dummies on Twitter. I'm there always posting a lot of clips, both of the rookies. I guess the NBA season's now about over, but of mostly of the prospects coming up that are going to be drafted here in the next few months, plus my thoughts and a lot of stats. And then I'm a part of the podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network that is the NBA Draft Big Board Show. So go ahead. If you're not following that yet, especially you Pacers fans with the draft coming up, you're going to want to hear a lot of that, our thoughts and insight as it pertains to the draft over the next uh, month or so. Yeah, could if the Cavs had made the playoffs and the Pacers had top 10 pick, 18th pick, 31st pick, I'd have had to cover every player. Thankfully, <laughs> I don't have to do the middle of the first round yeah. now or else I'd, I'd have to cover basically every player. But if you'd want to listen to stuff on every player, that's your way to go. Raphael, Sam, everybody on our draft team is, is really excellent. Thank you for the time, Sam. Tomorrow, guys, we'll be reviewing player seasons again. I'm going to do veteran bigs. So, Miles Turner, DeMontis Simonis, Goga Batadze. Yes, he counts as a veteran from the Pacers' perspective. Coming up tomorrow, it'll be awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you then.